Yo, what's good? Real ones. This is Logan Murdoch here with Raja Bell. What's good, bro? Same old dog. Navigating some, you know, my, minor uh, uh, mechanical issues on my end, some technical difficulties, but all good. Okay. All right. Well, we had a really great guest today, Raja Bell. We had Taylor Rooks of Bleacher Report. That was dope. She was phenomenal. Um, the game that she referenced playing against NBA stars, I play that with my young nine-year-old and three-year-old. I am phenomenal, just full disclosure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was a good time when she was talking about um, the content that she made in the bubble and just coping with the bubble in general. And also what it's like to be a woman in the current sports media landscape. It was a really, really dope conversation, man. Tap in. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. Arby's better not catch you slacking on snacking with their new two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps. And your choice of ranch, barbecue, honey, mustard, and a bonus flavor called Incredible Value. You can't taste it, but boy, is it sweet. Arby's two-for-five-dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. What is poppin'? Another episode of Real Ones. I'm Logan Murdoch with Raja Bell. Raja, we have a very special guest, bro. Very special. special. Introduce our special guest. We have Bleacher Report's own, who's about to take it there. Taylor Rooks. <laughs> I'm happy to doing, be homie? here. Happy to talk to you again, Logan. And nice to meet you, Raj. I'm very excited to meet you as well. Appreciate that. Feelings mutual. <laughs> <laughs> how, how are you doing right now, right? Because it's, it, we you just got out of the bubble, it seems like, almost yesterday. And we're about <laughs> to go through another NBA season. How yeah. are you feeling right around this point? Are you excited? Are you like, what just happened? We just left the bubble? Like, how are yeah. you feeling right now? I mean, I'm excited, but it's funny because I'm thinking, okay, if the turnaround seems so tight for all of us, just imagine what the turnaround feels like for the people that were actually, you know, playing basketball. Um, it's it's going to be a lot. And just because the bubble was so intense and so hyper-focused on playing basketball and, you know, being in this environment that was only basketball. And then you feel like you might get a little break when you leave the bubble just to, you know, turn around and do it all again. Uh, I think the good thing though, is that it feels like there won't be a major need for a bubble. You know, I think that that, that's good that the bubble probably was the first and the only, Um, and hopefully we continue to trend in this direction of, you know, people being safe, no positive cases and all that, but uh, definitely a quick turnaround. Yeah, I was I was going to I was going to ask you like what is that like from your travel schedule normally? Like how is that yeah. affected by COVID and them now being outside of the bubble? Like will that will that curtail yeah. some of your activity on the road or how does that work? I mean, I ain't got no more status on the airlines, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Which honestly sucks. It's like I loved that. You know, like yeah. you're getting your flight and you're like, "All right, how many miles? What am I going to get?" <laughs> I was like, yeah, all that work down the drain. But uh, no, normally I'd be traveling so much. Like with the Twitter live show last season, we did the Lakers home opener and then the Warriors home opener. So we were just, we were there. And even last year, we were like going to be traveling to do Twitter live. And obviously we didn't because of everything that happened. And now everything's virtual. We're doing Twitter Live from our homes. I'm doing interviews from my home. Like it's it's definitely just a different different world. Lots of less traveling. Um, yeah. How has that affected your routine, right? Because you know us as journalists, we have that routine of like, okay, once we're back home for a little bit, we're automatically on a plane to to, yeah. ha- to now be confined to your crib. How was that for yeah. you? Is, how how have you done with that adjustment? 
Honestly, it's been good and bad because I'm a person who likes to get up and go. You know, I enjoy the fact that I'm not always at home. Like if my friends were like, hey, let's go to Aruba this week. And I'd be like, let's do it. Like, let's figure it out. Let's go and do that. And so when work just calls me to go to do an interview or go to a game, I'm so down. So I miss the ability to just go do the things I like to do. And I like working, you know, I think we're super blessed to be in these positions where we enjoy going to work. We enjoy talking to people. We enjoy being around the sports that we love. So in some aspects, you kind of feel like it was taken away. And I have talked about this a bit before, but even leaving the bubble, I was actually super sad to leave the bubble. Um, And so I ended up leaving about, a month early. I left during the conference finals. I had to go to attend a funeral. Um, But then after the funeral, I'm like, I wish I could go back because you just feel like you left the epicenter of everything. Like now you feel like nobody cares about the work you're doing because you're not in the bubble, which is what everybody (laughs) cared about at that time. Like I really went through this time of being sad. Like it was hard to watch the games because you're like, I wish I was there. I wish I could ask a question. I wish I could be experiencing this. Um, So I've gone through like work withdrawals. Yeah, that that's interesting. Um, I want to ask you like just personal like opinion. Um, guys outside of the bubble like it, the bubble itself uh made it impossible for guys who ordinarily would you know get out and you know maybe be in the streets to be in them what do yeah. you imagine that nba players uh are going to be able to pull this off uh i, I know there's going to be a random case here or there but like what's your just personal i mean you can't predict it but you think guys are yeah. gonna be responsible enough to 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 really keep COVID at bay I mean, I hope so. I know recently it's all been in the news that some players have been partying, you know, with certain rappers and all things like that. Um, but hopefully those, you know, I know he has to go through a slew of tests and he has to come back completely negative and, and all those things. But I think just the nature of the virus, there's going to be cases. And I have really tried to shift my mindset of thinking that if someone gets COVID, it's because they were irresponsible. Because sometimes people just get it. Right. You know, you really could be doing all the necessary steps and be doing all the necessary things and end up with it. I know people who I know have been in their house, but maybe left for a minute or saw someone who said they had also been in their house. You know, like, I don't think it's always like you get COVID because you went out to a party or because you were being reckless. Some people end up just getting it. So I just think based on how viruses work and how the nature of something contagious works, people will get it you know yeah totally i i agree i agree with you i, I look I, I didn't go through the bubble and i, I guess we're going to get to like you know because i read your piece in gq on the bubble and and the highs the lows the like the goods and the bads like i was one of the people that thought that maybe like for the reasons you just articulated like yeah multiple mini bubbles like where you were giving people a break you know what i mean just to make yeah. sure that you got it played but like i you know i don't know yeah and but i will openly say i thought that the bubble wasn't going to work. I was like, oh, someone's going to get COVID. Right. <laughs> like that, I'm like, we're not going to finish the whole season. We'll do a couple games and then the bubble might burst. But the NBA did such an incredible job with that bubble. Like I'm still in awe of just how well the machine worked uh, down in Orlando. But yeah, I think the only way for there to be no cases is for what happened in the bubble. Like where we're tested every day, we're confined to a space, like there's social distancing, everyone has on a mask. Like that's the only way to absolutely contain COVID. So I don't know. I just, I hope that we can minimize risk as much as possible. You talked about, you know, Raza referenced the GQ article, which was really, really good. You guys check that out. Um, You really had a, um, it was the first person account of your experience in the bubble. and you talk about the highs and lows of the bubble, right? Because it does, on one hand, it does feel like a summer camp with all your homies and, you know yeah. what I mean? And, and on the other hand, you are separated from the rest of the world mm-hmm. and the toll that that puts on there. But by the end of it, you said you missed the bubble. Yeah. Can you talk me through those reins of emotions that the yeah. bubble made you have? Yeah, it was so many emotions. Like, I just... Even when I was writing that piece, you know, obviously there were so many moments in bubble that were really heavy and people were, you know, sad and disappointed and angry. But 
thought it was really important to portray that there were light moments too. Like a lot of people view the bubble as some sort of refuge. You know, they were around some of the friends they have had for an incredibly long time. They're around their teammates. They're having fun. They're playing cards. They're drinking wine. Like the, the happiness is a part of the experience too. Even though it sucked to be away from your family, I think there were just a lot of moments of levity and moments of joy. So I wanted to make sure those were sprinkled in there as well. But it was a roller coaster. I mean, I so I got there, had a false positive, literally thought I was going to have to pack up and go home. I'm like, I went through all this. I'm not even going to be in the bubble. Um, I remember like calling Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and Spencer Dinwiddie. And I'm like, what was it like when you had it? Like, did you have any symptoms? Like I'm freaking out. Um, and they like were keeping me so calm and Thankfully to them, they didn't tell anybody because then a couple days later, I found out I was fine. Um, but literally when I was arrived, they weren't giving me all this advice about COVID. Um, so ended up being okay, never having it, still haven't had it up to this point, fingers crossed. Uh, then, you know, going out there, doing the games, watching some great basketball, and then you see Jacob Blake, and then the NBA stops, and then there's this historic meeting, and then they decide to do this initiative that should hopefully last for the rest of the time the NBA exists. And then it's like, we go back to games and you see more great basketball. And then my uncle passes away. So then I have to leave the bubble and then I leave the bubble and then I'm sad I'm not in the bubble. And then you feel like everybody around you has COVID because they are getting tested every day like we were in the bubble. So it was a lot of ups and downs for sure. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting that it, you know, you're talking about like the camaraderie and stuff. And I read an article, like as a former player, what we missed the most is that like yeah. so like for someone who you know wasn't there it sounds fantastic right you sit around you're drinking some wine you're talking some shit you're playing phase 10 like it just sounds yeah. like that's all the shit i miss about it you know but uh yeah yeah i know it had to come with some really tough times too i want to ask you because you talked about jacob blake and then you know the 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 uh you know the players kind of taking this stand how how divided were they like I, not at the end because i know they became but but like was it like 50-50 guys that were like, were there anyone that didn't want to play? It was like, I don't want, we're not, I don't want to play and had to be kind of pulled yeah. along by the rest of the group. Like, how was that? I mean, I think there was a, a good balance. I don't think that there were any people in there that were both 100% of the same page. Like there's other people that were 90% of the same page, 95% of the same page, but everybody had different ideas of how to accomplish the same thing or different things. Like how I said in the, in the piece, money was a huge point of contention. Like they spent a large amount of time in that meeting talking about money, potential loss of money, guys that were in different situations. And sure. as I, when George Hill said, he was like, well, you know, what is this money if you don't have your humanity? He felt really strongly about basketball not being the thing that was needed at that moment when he decided to sit out. Um, and then of, of course, I'm sure you guys know, you know, Lakers and Clippers were like, we're down to go, we're down to leave. And, you know, Lakers were a team that wanted to do that when they had at that chance a very high likelihood of winning a championship. So people were willing to sacrifice, but that money was really the, the main thing. Like I said in the piece, Austin Rivers was like, it was chaos. Um, the, the room was just chaos. But my favorite part of the meeting is, you know, what I was saying about John Lucas, who just talked about the effect that the bubble could have on people and that it was having on him as somebody who has very openly and publicly struggled with alcoholism to talk about his experience and say like, the more you're in here and the more you have nothing to do, eventually might become an alcoholic. And while he was saying it in jest, the players understood what he meant because so many of them were going through a lot of like mental struggles and really needed to talk to somebody and needed some type of outlet. So a lot of things were being addressed out in that meeting, but money was the main thing. How do you cope with that type of, uh, cause I know you probably were going through that as well. The, um, the ups and the downs, how did you cope with the downs of being in that bubble and being isolated from yeah. the rest of the world? I mean, I tried to spend a lot of time like FaceTiming my friends, talking to them, like making sure I felt connected to the outside world in some way. Um, as I said, like when I'd get bored, I would play Connect Four on my phone with Ja Morant. And <laughs> he taught me how to play pool on the phone, which I'm really bad mm -hmm. at. Like, I'm so bad at that. I still haven't won a game. <laughs> but he hasn't beaten me in Connect Four. So. Um, but it was a lot of just trying to find, you know, 
little bursts of light and different things. And I, I try to do that a lot with just connecting with my friends that were not in the bubble. Why were some of them dudes so bad at that game where you put the phone on your head? <laughs> like, it looked like it should have been real easy stuff, man. Why were they so bad at that? <laughs> Honestly, I love that game. I would play it with you guys right now if you wanted. It's my favorite <laughs> game. Um, but some of them just like didn't know different <laughs> pop culture references. It's funny. I don't think I ever posted it, but I played it with Bam. And he's like, I only know black movies. Because <laughs> he had, <laughs> you're the movie guy. He didn't know. There were some that were so obvious. I'm not kidding you. I, I'm not positive, but I think it was maybe Snow White. And he couldn't get me to guess Snow White. Fantastic. Fantastic. Like, yeah, like you gotta, he's like, is there a black movie category? But they weren't, <laughs> they weren't good. Josh Hart obviously takes the cake for worst attempt. Um, but JJ Reddick was good. Kelly Oubre was good. Kimba Walker was good. It was, yeah. that was my favorite thing I did was play Heads Up. It was just a nice break. Yeah. How how important was it to you to show that side of the bubble as well, right? Yeah. Because we see this, this other side where it's stressful, um, you're away from your family, but you always made a point to show, yeah, we're, we're having fun too, guys. Yeah, because, yeah, like I said, that, that happiness was important. That happiness is a part of the experience. And just the bubble was different things to different people. Like the NBA players aren't some monolith who always all feel the exact same things at the exact same times. Some people 100% enjoyed the bubble. Like, I remember talking to Kimba Walker. He's like, this is fun. Like, this is what I would do anyway, is go home, go play basketball, go right back home. Like, there was times where everybody was like, this is nice. And it would be times where I'm walking past the bar and everybody is just sitting there drinking. You know, it's been people talking about cards. People were betting so much money playing cards. <laughs> you know, they were, it was fun. There was really fun times. And I just think that's all a part of, the experience and also all a part of the black experience. I say that because there was so much focus on, you know, the police brutality, racial injustice that was happening. And the whole world was looking at, you know, these predominantly black players figuring out what they were going to do. And while they were upset and frustrated, they're also allowed to be other things too. Like if you don't have those moments of happiness and levity after you maybe just, you know, watched a black man be shot seven times on your phone, you'd go crazy. Like you need other outlets. So it's just important to shine a light on that kind of self-care aspect of the bubble too. I thought it was, well, first of all, um, you're talking about fishing, golfing, hanging out by the pool, playing cards, <laughs> drinking wine, and playing basketball. I'm like, I'm in. Yeah. But I got, I, got, yeah. I got four kids in homeschool in the other room about to like tear each other apart. You're so, like, sign me up. Yeah, I'm good. Um, yeah, because while I, like yeah. my thing is, Obviously, I totally understand and respect why there would be people going through really difficult mental struggles in the bubble. I didn't really experience that. I enjoyed my time there. I enjoyed bringing the story to others and asking questions. And I just tried to go in there like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Try to have as much fun as you can. So I'm a you, Roger. I was like, let's go to the pool. <laughs> let's light it up. Hey, I, I do think yeah. you you touched on something that I do think is it's interesting. And I read it in the article. It's like the times, like, and you referenced like Mello getting to sit around and talk to some of the, uh, some of the younger players and, and yeah. kind of pass the torch almost, if you will. Like that time, NBA players don't typically all get to be together yeah. in one place. And while everyone wasn't there, there was enough people there where those relationships really mean something. Not in your day-to-day -day, uh, playing against each other type of scenario, but when it times comes time to collect a bargain, like when it comes time to yeah. have solid area, when you sit back you know, down with the owners and you're trying to achieve something. So I think that part of it um, you know, at the end of the day, will we'll probably bear some fruit. Like just guys getting to know people they ordinarily wouldn't get to know. Totally, yeah. And this didn't make it in the piece, but I remember when I was interviewing Jason Tatum, I asked him, like, is there anybody in the bubble that you didn't really know, but you're leaving the bubble feeling like you guys are good friends? And he's like, well, you know, there was a night I just sat and talked to Trez for like two hours in the lobby. And he now feels like they have so much in common and they're cool. And they before had never even really spoken. I'm yeah. sure a lot of guys have stories of like, I would have never talked to this person. We ain't even in the same conference. I barely see him, but now we're cool. And I think that's that's a really exciting and cool thing that, that can happen. Just that's what basketball does. And that's really what the bubble did. Mm -hmm.
on a personal note, it seemed like you were finding your voice this summer when you talk about you were donating, uh, I think, $10,000 to causes uh, for Black Lives Matter. And you were the person to ask the questions, right? How do you feel like you found a voice and how do you think that helped, um, you know, players kind of get their message out this summer? Yeah, I mean, I just, it's so important for there to be Black media members. and the more we can diversify our newsrooms and diversify the people that we watch and read, I think the more stories will be complete. And so you need to have people asking about experiences that they too have lived, mainly because the person you're asking in a lot of ways feels more comfortable opening up in a way that feels true to them when they think there's a level of understanding. That doesn't mean they can't have the conversation with somebody who, you know, isn't a Black person. But I think the conversation is a bit different when there's just this innate understanding that that takes place. Um, And so it was just important for me because sometimes I felt like, okay, if today I'm the only person here who has experienced what this person is talking about, I got to make sure I ask the right questions. And I've always felt like I had that responsibility and just had a responsibility um, as a Black media member. So it was because there were so many historic things that took place in the bubble. I think we all just wanted to make sure the story was told as accurately and completely as possible. Yeah. How important is it to have Black women in media? Yeah. Because, you know, there's one thing to have to be Black in media. And that that's there's a that's a powerful statement. But to have a black woman yeah. in there and to to show a different perspective that we normally don't get. Yeah, very important, especially because all this was happening on the backdrop of Breonna Taylor. And I know how black women felt specifically about that murder is everyone was like, that could have been me. Remember, that was one thing Malika Andrews was saying when she was talking on TV is like, we're we're all, you know, Breonna Taylor. And for the players to rally behind that person and that cause so much, I'm sure made all of us feel really seen and heard and also pushed us to make sure that we reclaim this space in media as as much as possible. So it's, it's important to have Black women in really any space because Black women have been the backbone of so many things. They have driven so many movements. They push things forward. Um, And I do think we also try our best to make people like fully seen. So it's important. No doubt. Let me, I want to ask you and in the, you know, kind of not along the same lines, but in the same, what's going on with Kyrie right now, before he came out and kind of recanted and, and changed his position on it. Like as a, as a media member with as much access as you have, um, how, how did, how did you feel about that? Like what, what, if you, you know, looking at it, was it, you were, you were either on one side of the fence with that. Either you were like, yeah, man, Kyrie, I hear you, bro. Do what you do. Or you were like, that's irresponsible. Like you owe it to the journalist and to the public to, to, to do this media. Where, where were you on that? Taylor? Yeah. Well, so I was always kind of confused about the stance because I thought, because so when it happened, I had not, I hadn't said anything about it because I thought what he was saying was that he wasn't going to speak at media day. And then I guess he, and you know how it goes, this story is never as big as the one that's cooler, but he came out like his camp was like, no, he's going to speak to the media throughout the season. He just wasn't going to speak during that media week. Um, I think that, so, and I, Listen, I get that. If you are a person who's like, I want to take the stance and not talk today, cool. But I don't think it's possible to not talk to the media at all. But I also don't think that's what he's saying. Like the media are a necessary cog of the machine. Regardless of what you feel about the media, like it's essential to keep this going. It draws viewership, makes people care about players and teams. It's like you tune into certain people, you read certain articles, and it drives the interest in the game. No doubt. Period. It's a part of it. I don't even think people realize when they're watching the game, like that's media. <laughs> like you're listening to the, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're listening to the commentators. Like you're watching the interview with the Southern reporter. Like, so you're actually engaging in media just by turning it on. Right. right. Um, but yeah, I think that the, you know, the, or the thing people took issue with was when he said pawns. It's kind of like, we really shouldn't be name calling anybody. 
Um, so this, this stance, I have no problem with, but it's the, like, I think we all have to have just a respectful environment, all of us, you know, media players, players, media, and hopefully that continues. I was on his first call when he spoke to the media a couple of days ago. He was super kind. He talked about it. Then he was like, you guys, please be well. Thank you so much for your time. He was great. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be, I'm very excited to watch the Nets. I think that they are going to supply a lot of entertainment with on and off the court. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, no. Do you, uh, me and Roger were talking last, uh, our last episode about the relationship overall between media members and the media, uh, media members and players. And that I think personally, both sides just need to realize that we need each other. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, players, uh, need to see that, Hey, you know, we have a, we have a job to do as well. Yeah. But I think also media members need to, to have a bit more empathy and stuff and what they do and also understanding them more and totally. understanding players more because that's how that's how stories get told and that's how great stories get told right if if you you don't necessarily have to be i don't have to be glowing to raja bell right like i don't have to write i can write i don't i have to if i can write something negative about raja at least i come to him and i'm responsible with it right totally. if he messes up i have a responsibility to do that mm-hmm. But I think that's been lost, though, right? Uh, from from both sides. Uh, would you agree with that, that it, it, it has kind of been lost, that we do need each other in the long run? Yeah, totally. And I am not a big fan of... Because the, the main reason I think players sometimes feel weary about the media is because they're weary about headlines. And sometimes there are interviews that only take place to grab one soundbite, right? And be like, this is the thing. And a lot of time it's salacious, right? And it's a bit of a shocker. And you you want to be like, wow, he said what, what? But I think that the more we drift back to like interviews because they're supposed to be full conversations, the more people would want to talk to the media. But I'm sure players can tell when there's somebody who is only asking a question for reaction, mm-hmm. you know, or a question yeah. for a story that they have already decided they want to write. And they just need that quote for that story. And listen, media, get it how you live. Everybody, you know, has different styles and different things like that. But I think the more we could approach talking to players to come from a place of understanding and not a place of like judgment or sensationalism, um, we could bridge that trust. Because you're right, we we both need one another. Uh, it doesn't work if both sides aren't in this like, you know, mutual relationship. Um, but yeah, and you're right. Like if you're going to write something about a person who isn't super, like, and it isn't super flattering, you definitely have to ask that person if they have a comment, let them know that this story is coming out because that's how you burn the bridge because you put that out and then you got to go talk to them tomorrow and you didn't say anything about it. You didn't even give them a chance to, you know, refute it. Uh, there just has to be communication at all times. Yeah. Those are great points, right? Like trust relationships. and then being able to have both sides of the story told or the two, the three of the things that I thought were, you know, really, really important when I played in the relationship between the journalists. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Now until May 12th, get up to 30% off personalized jewelry, style, decor, and so many other items mom will love. And if you want her to know you put a ton of thought into her present, use Gift Mode. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can easily find well-crafted, original, and affordable pieces from small shops. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about mom, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated ideas based on hundreds of personas. 
Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. The Ringer NBA show is brought to you by FanDuel Fantasy. It seems like just yesterday that LA was popping bubbly in the NBA bubble. It's hard to believe that basketball is already back. Here's some of the storylines I'm looking forward to. Is James Harden going to be in Houston long term? Is he going to lose that party weight from the ice ball with Lil Baby? I'm not sure. Is Giannis going to make it past the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs? We'll see. To celebrate all of this, FanDuel is introducing snake draft contests for the NBA season. With no salary caps and a max of 12 players per contest, snake draft is the simplest way to try daily fantasy. Here's why daily snake drafts are awesome. There's a price point for everyone. You can play for as little as $1. That's cheap. Just $1. You can draft live with friends like a traditional seasonal league, but it's only for one contest. NBA snake drafts are only available on FanDuel. Draft Live is just like season-long fantasy, but with winners every game day. And now get an instant bonus up to $500 on your first deposit. $500. It's a lot of cash. Go to FanDuel.com backslash RingerNBA to sign up, deposit, and draft now. That's FanDuel.com backslash RingerNBA. So you talked about storyline. What's your favorite storyline heading into the season? Like you talked about how fun it's going to be for you to watch Brooklyn. Um, yeah. What, what other things are you looking for going in? I'm excited to watch Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Uh, I cannot wait. Um, I'm also trying to figure out what's going to happen in Houston. Like, are we going to see James there? Are we going to see a James that wants to be there? Like, I'm very curious because there's so many different reports. Mm -hmm. And, like, I feel like nobody really knows exactly what's going on with that. Um, So I'm excited for that. Oh, what am I missing? Anything else? Chris and Devin are, are really sticks out. Oh, and just on the Houston tip, just seeing John Wall back. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. going to just be super exciting. Obviously, Russ uh, with the Wizards. I want to see how far they can go. It's it's always interesting to me when, you know, players swap teams. And if that team goes further than they did with the other player, how people put the onus on the player that left. You know, like, so I just wonder if that's going to be the storyline with them. I mean, I know obviously DeMar and Kawhi are different players, but when Kawhi got there, then the Raptors in the finals, they won. Everyone was like, it was DeMar. And it's like, I don't know if anything is ever one person. But if the Rockets do better or if the Wizards do better, the narrative is going to be that it was this one person who who ended up making that difference. So I'm just excited to see how the how the seasons play out for those people. I do want to go back to the to the uh, locker room dynamic and 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 media and players, uh, particularly with um, women in the media. Right, I think that you guys are you guys are really great at your jobs, but you guys have to go through a lot more stuff that even me as a black man don't have to go through. Yeah, right. You guys have to the stuff that I can do. You guys get shamed for doing. Like I can go and talk to a player or get a player's number or get a, uh, a someone's number. And it's really nothing. Like, I can go and get coffee with a player. Women, on the other hand, it seems like get judged for that same totally, notion. Yeah. How do you overcome that? And why do why does that why does that happen? How do you over and how do you overcome that? Why does it happen? I would say immaturity. Um, mm-hmm. I think people just in general over-sexualize women, um, and they really over-sexualize black women. They'll see a woman interviewing a player and be like, oh, girl, you want him? It's like, no, <laughs> we're just doing an interview. <laughs> I literally had to talk to him. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, you see men who have literally made their career off of being friends with players. Like, that's what Ahmad Rashad did. He was great. He made that career off of being friends with players. And nobody thought Ahmad Rashad was dating MJ. You know what I mean? But if I go and do anything, I have to be dating that player. It's it's very strange um, that I think people try to people try to think of whatever reason they can to diminish why a woman is doing what they're doing. And it's so unbelievable to a person to think that they could get that done because they're good at their job. They gotta think of a reason why they're cheating. You know, it's like, well, no, it's because because she's a woman it's because he likes her it's because she likes him it's like it's like no maybe it's just because i do a good job um i would say at this point it's not a thing that i like care about or think about um it's unfortunately become a part of it and it doesn't get better but i think that you get better 
And that's really the only thing that you can control is you understand that the people whose opinion matters on your work understand what being a journalist actually is, what is and isn't going on. And any time you decide you want to give in to like Twitter, it's like there's other issues that you need to address. Like Twitter is not the masses, nor is it a good pool of smart people. Um, You guys got to let Twitter be Twitter. I have told myself like if a problem can be solved by putting your phone down, it's not a problem. So uh, did, did you have, was there a time where you had to, cause I can't imagine what goes on uh, seeing Jamel Hills mentioned, seeing your mentions. Yeah. I couldn't imagine even going through that. How, how, when did you get to a point where you were, well, I can't pay attention to this. I can't I, yeah. just for my sheer sanity. I can't pay attention to people throwing dirt on my name for, yeah. for doing a great job. Oh, I would say like maybe, two years ago, two and a half years ago. Um, Mm. Like the year right before I started at Bleacher, I was just kind of like, you literally fool, you can't care about that. Like you can't read the comments. You can't read all your Twitter mentions. And now like sometimes I do and I just don't care about what they say. I just think eventually everybody hits that point where you say, wait, like this actually doesn't matter. Like, it just genuinely doesn't. Like, why did somebody getting on their phone or computer typing something to you, why would that ruin your day? If it has nothing to do with you, if it's not rooted in truth, like, why would you care? You know? And you just kind of wake up one day and feel that way. Uh, Like, it wasn't like this journey for me as much as it was like, you are being dumb if you care about this. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's just, that's kind of how it happened for me. One thing I love about your questioning and when I when I see you interview people, is the, the the sheer empathy that you do give. You might necessarily you might not necessarily agree with what they're about to say or what they've said in the past, but it seems like you genuinely want to ask a que- ask the question that you're asking. Yeah. How do you use empathy to make sure that the the players are comfortable in that way when you are um, interviewing them, and how and how important is empathy? to uh for a journalist yeah i mean i think empathy is important for journalists because empathy is important for humans like i try to approach every interview like i'm just talking to a person like i like i'm talking to my best friend or talking to someone i just met like there are so many ways that you can just make a person comfortable um and the thing about asking questions is like you ask a question because you don't know right? You ask the question because you want to know the answer. Asking a question is literally the easiest thing that you could do. <laughs> like you just, yeah. you don't know. So you're just asking. So I really try to approach it in that way. Like, I mean, you said this and we're confused about it. So can you just like explain it? Cause we, we want to know, like, that's why I, I'm asking this question to you. I also try to, like, I try to be super open because I don't believe in asking a question that I also want to answer. And I think mm. sometimes players feel offended when people ask them stuff because they're like, you would never say this, right? Like, this isn't even what, you would never accept this being asked to you, right? And I think sometimes we, there's media members who are like, "Mm, like, you just want this to get them. Um, So yeah, empathy is just, it's important. It makes people open up a bit more, I think. Raja, do you feel that sometimes from a player's perspective when it doesn't seem like we care about your life life at all, but we just want to get this question to to to, to get you? Do you see that? Oh, no Did doubt. Do you see that as we're asking well, the question? Absolutely. I mean, first of all, I know who you are in most cases, right? Because we're dealing with the the same people, right? Like we're we're seeing the same faces when you go from city to city or even nationally, people that will cover you nationally. So I I know you. I know your motives. Um and I, it all goes back to, and you and I talked about it, and we, we talked about it a few minutes ago, like the relationship that you and I have kind of cultivated. And, you know, if it's one where where we may chop it up outside of this microphone type of scrum and and you care about what's going on with me and vice versa, yeah. um, I, I'm pretty confident that we can, you know, I'll give you what you need. But I, you know the ones that are just there to get the headline, right? And the question's mm-hmm. pointed and, you know, they're trying to put you in a corner was what they're asking you. And you, you know... That's why I say to any player, like it's media 101 when we come into the league, like don't feel mm-hmm. like you have to answer everything. Like there's times when you can sit up there and, and you know, take a, you know, just pivot. Take your answer somewhere else. Like, yeah. who, you know, yeah. if, if, if it's a trap, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. 
just when when you when you do see that, I think Taylor brought up a good point, Roger, when you talk about giving a media member giving them a little bit of themselves to you. Do you appreciate that when we do that? Is that something that you you'd like you'd like to see from media members? All, like, no, nah, it's not. It's a two way street. All of my best, like all of the people that could call me now for something that I worked with when I played, are people that like knew me. Um, and knew what was going on with me and vice versa, right? Like I knew where they were from. Like I knew what their job was before they had the job that they were currently on asking me questions, right? So there was a, again, a genuine relationship and there was, to have that, you have to give some of yourself to someone, right? Like, yeah. You know, and totally. so, yeah, dog, I think that's super important, especially, you know, if you want to foster the type of relationship where you can pick up the phone and call someone and and expect them to A, pick it up and then B, be willing to kind of help you out on whatever it is that you're trying to do without a relationship. You're not even getting the phone picked up. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like that's going to You won't break. even have the number. Right. You won't have the right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. No doubt. Taylor, are you afraid about the divide, which this divide that we do speak on where players are having their own platforms? Uh, you know, Kyrie, this all started because he went on Kevin's podcast, Kevin Durant's podcast, right? Yeah. That they do have their own way to, you know, go on IG Live and go to these different places. Are you afraid that divide is just going to get further and further? I'm not, actually. No, I think that it's all different types of content. Uh, like, I, re I enjoy, you know, sitting with Kai, where he has his IG Live and people come on and you see this very, like, authentic, fun version of players. But that's different than sitting down with someone who's a trained interviewer. They're just two different types of content and you could do whatever's your taste, right? If a viewer wants to see that chill friend conversation, they can do that. If they want to see a bit more of like a structure, I'm asking you some questions people want the answers to, you can do that. I think there's room for all things. It's okay that there's like, you know, Turner and Bleacher and ESPN and Fox Sports. And then there's like, there's also, I don't know, uninterrupted and the shop. Like you need all of that type of stuff. Like all they all exist and they all have people that are devoted. Do you feel some type of way when you see somebody on the shop and they get a like a bomb answer on the <laughs> shop and you're like, damn, I wanted to ask him that. <laughs> like, like dang, you know, I wish that was competitive. Me. <laughs> LeBron, no, come mean, on, man. <laughs> if anything, they'll say something. And this is what I mean. So they'll say something, right? That is interesting. And then I'll say, well, I want to interview them to follow up on that. Because there's not always mm -hmm. follow-ups in that type of setting. And so I think yeah. sometimes that's when someone else wants to have been and say, okay, you said this, but like, let's expand upon that. So there's space for mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah. Raja, would you have a platform if you was here? Would you, if you, you know, I know you, you with us right now, but if you were a player right now, would you be on the, with IG lives no. and all that? You feel me? All, no. Everything? No? Okay. No. I mean, <laughs> listen, you, and, and maybe like, um, you know, I'd be in the wrong for that because that's how you build a brand, right? Like these, these, these players, like I got a chance to do the top 100 camp, like when I was still playing. Um, and so the kids that were coming through that crop were, um, I don't know, like the Sam Deckers, the Mitch McGarry's, um, you had the Michael Frazier's. These were all kids that were on my team. Some of them wound up playing in the NBA. Some of them didn't. Um, but the point was they were learning how to build brands then. And I was mm -hmm. like towards the twilight of my career, like, damn, no one ever taught me this. Like no one ever taught me how to build a brand. So to some degree you need it, Logan. I'm just not a dude. I don't want everybody in my business. Like, do you know what I mean? Like I don't, yeah. I always said that. Yeah. I don't want people knowing where I am. Um, at four o'clock in the afternoon. I don't want that. Like if you figure it out, good, but I'm not broadcasting that to everybody on the planet. So I probably wouldn't. Um, but, but, and I say that in one breath. And then I also said to you, like in a situation I found myself in when I couldn't control the narrative or even explain my side of the story, it would be nice to have a platform to have been able to do that on. So how did you, um, how did you feel about your, uh, your latest hip hop reference? My <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, nah, I was I was flattered. My kids thought like I am now cool dad for at least a week. Because <laughs> you're <laughs> yeah, because I'm in a rap song. Like, other than that, I'm not cool dad. But uh, I felt you know my kids loved it, and so I was like, it's pretty dope. That's and then so I, funny. I actually did like full disclosure. I went on someone's Twitter and. I was like, let me check out and see like my name. And it was all Jack Harlow. <laughs> it was all Jack Harlow. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> I don't see, see, when you say that, I don't know. When you talk about uh 
when you say if you were a player, you might not have been on it. Bro, you went on someone else's Twitter to search your name. <laughs> that is the most millennial thing that you can do, bro. I did. Well, it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, my son has Twitter, right? Like, he he's trying yeah. to build his brand. He's 13. <laughs> but So I went on his Twitter I'll and looked it up. That's not what it is, though. If you're in a rap song, you get a pass. He thank gets you. a pass there. Thank you. <laughs> Taylor, thank you. So, 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 Raja, after, so, like, say, Say after the Kobe thing, the Kobe thing with you, you don't think you would have been on Twitter or on IG Live or something right afterwards if that happened right That's now? That's a great question. Oh, is he frozen? Is that the Florida Wi-Fi? Florida <laughs> Wi-Fi? What, what we got? A fam. What a terrible okay. time to get frozen. <laughs> Bro! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yo, the alligator ate the modem, bro. Damn. <laughs> All right, man. Raja had some bum-ass Wi-Fi, so he got cut off. So it's time for Real One of the Week, which is somebody, an entity, or a person, or a player that got your respect this week. I'm going to start off with mine, and I'm going to give Save the Best for Last with Taylor Rooks. So my Real One of the Week is a guy by the name of Giannis Adetokounmpo, who got the absolute bag. Um, We we all know he's been through a lot, and he's gotten the bag with um, with the Milwaukee Bucks. Five years, $228 million. Shout out to Giannis, man. Real one of the week. Yes. Now. Big shout out. Taylor, who was who your real one of the week? Okay, I might be cheating the segment because I'm choosing three people, but it's of the same thing. Okay. So okay, my real ones of the week are Stefan Diggs, DeAndre Hopkins, and Kareem Hunt because I won a fantasy this week. It's playoffs hey. time. <laughs> and I would not have got it done if DeAndre Hopkins didn't have a 100-plus yard game. Stefan Diggs went crazy. And everybody was doubting me having Kareem Hunt on my team. But Kareem Hunt got me 24 points, two touchdowns. And even though the Browns lost to the Ravens, he won my game. I was actually facing Lamar Jackson and I ended up winning by like mm. 10 points, but only because of all those three. So those are my real ones of the week. Oh. <laughs> well, congratulations to you. I'm sure that will help out with the pain that all the Falcons have given you all season. Fine. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, no, man. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. I'm a big fan of your work. I really appreciate it. Um, thank you, Taylor. No, thank you for having me. This is a great time. Yeah. Good to see you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. And we're back. Raja had some bum-ass Wi-Fi, so he got cut off. Um, something about the Florida. I ju- the crazy what, thing up? is, I just upgraded all Wi-Fi. Like, I just went through this with Comcast. They came out. They upgraded all the routers. We supposedly have a faster speed, like... There are not going to be any interruptions with everybody streaming their schooling at the same time. And I lose my Wi-Fi more now than I did before. And in in the midst of a great question, Raja, in the midst of a, a great question about Kobe and you being on IG Live after you close line, my man, can you just expand on that answer real quick, how you would be in the normal millennial age? You didn't hear anything I said about that? No, it cut off as soon as you Damn, said it. As soon as the shame, bro. <laughs> hey. That's a shame. You didn't hear any. No, I, what I said was, no, I'll give you the answer. The answer is I would have been talking a whole lot of mess on Instagram and Twitter and all of that because at the time I was emotional. Like, and that would have been the, like, the wrong thing to do would be tweeting and posting stuff that lives forever when you're emotional, which way too many people do. So it would have been really like in in my opinion, a harmful thing for me to have done, but knowing myself and how heated I can get and having that access at my fingertips, <laughs> it would not have been good. I would have been in there, you know, saying reckless stuff and it would have been a counterproductive. I think that I, I could definitely see you on IG live that night <laughs> or IG live during the, during, during game six, where you're like at some bar in LA, I could definitely see you IG live or live tweeting that whole thing and just messing off so many bags. It would have been so counterproductive. Yes. I would have been just, it's just, just completely irresponsible. But again, um, like I'm, I'm a believer, like don't not emotional, dude. Don't do it emotionally. Like if you got something, put the Twitter down, put the phone down, and like come back to it a couple couple hours from now or a day later. Like don't don't do it out of emotion. Let's get to since you got cut off. Me and Taylor had to do our real one of the weeks without you. Who were they? 
Um, I had Giannis. She had Stefan Diggs and her fantasy team who balled out. True. Um, True. Was not, so, she, you know, she, she had a good weekend. All right. What, who is your real one of the week? So I got three of them, and they're all quarterbacks. They're all quarterbacks. Okay. All right. One, Jalen Hurts um, taking over for Carson Wentz in Philadelphia. Um, Philly's a tough sports town, man. Like, um, Jalen Hurts came out and he balled. Like, he's got some room to grow. I'm sure they simplified that game plan. It's going to be interesting to see. But everywhere he's been, uh, he's faced some adversity and he's risen to the challenge. So, shout out real one for Jalen Hurts getting his first NFL win as a starter. Uh, Lamar Jackson, a South Florida kid, having to go mm. off the head with the cramping issue, slipping all over the field um, against a bitter AFC North rival in the Browns. Like, coming back after the injury to Colt McCoy and on the first play, you know, life or death basically for their team, throwing the touchdown pass. I think it was the Hollywood Brown. I know the South Florida kids. So real one of the week for both of them. And then my third and most important real one of the week is one Dia Bell, quarterback of the FBU seventh grade South Florida team that took home the Florida region and will play for an FBU national championship this weekend in Naples. Young Dia Bell threw two touchdowns in the final game. Um, and I don't remember what his stat line was, but we're balling down here in South Florida. Dog, Dia Bell, real one of the week. Tap in. Tap in to the young homie, man. Shout out to the young <laughs> homie out here balling in Florida, okay? You know, hey, Florida, that's a football hotbed, okay? Like, shout out to the little homie for out here balling out, man. Appreciate that, that's, you. That's, that's, that's dope, man. All right. So, little housekeeping thing. We are Next week, we're just going to be going on Mondays next week. Um, for the next two weeks, we'll just be having one show per week. And... Uh, but yeah, man, it's been a good real one. It's been a good real one. Shout out to uh, Taylor Rooks for coming on. She was amazing. Awesome. She had to leave early to go to the James Harden availability. He was talking for the first time um, since the leak trade, since going to the ice ball with Lil Baby, since just having the time of his life off the court, apparently, during a pandemic. And so she had to go go check that out. So um, shout out to Taylor for coming on. She was fantastic. She's a boss. She was awesome. Yeah, man. And we'll see you next Monday. Real ones, tap in. Holla.